Hello, and welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand, where we talk to real people who have overcome real challenges and are making our world better because of it. They have taken life's lemons and are making lemonade. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I'm looking forward to getting to know you. So tell me just a couple of little things about yourself first. Yeah, thanks for having me, Heidi. I'm really excited to be here. My name is Stephanie Kunkel. Um, I am a coach and business strategist. I work with people to kind of take a holistic approach for their life and their business. Um, I do that because in the roughest of times that I was in, I was looking at them in two separate spaces. So I had to bring them back together. Um, I have two beautiful, almost teenagers, um, a dog who is my pride and joy and, um, and a boyfriend. I live in sunny Wisconsin <laughs> and, um, and I like to go out and hike and I'm a solopreneur who is helping other entrepreneurs, um, get their start and get their businesses up and running, um, and bring them into a community of other entrepreneurs. So Aww. Sounds like some, yeah, some good stuff. Okay. Tell me what kind of dog we might hear the dog. So what, what kind of dog do you have? He is a black lab mix. We think, uh, we got him from the, the humane society. So we're not a hundred percent sure, but we think he's a black lab mix. Oh, fun. So it's a bigger dog. So that's awesome. Well, it's great to meet you. So you got to take me back. You got to tell me, I'm sure it has something to why you're doing what you're doing now, but take me back and share with me your lemon to lemonade story. Yeah, yeah. I um I grew up in a place where we people had a kind of a set way of thinking. Um and my mom was always this type of person who um was the optimist but also not really. So there was a lot of stuff going on with her that was very undiagnosed, untreated. Um she didn't really seek help for things which you didn't back then. If you think back to um, the 1950s, 1960s, women were getting institutionalized for things like depression. So it was very taboo to talk about mental health issues. Um, and it still is in a lot of different situations. I think we're opening up, we're having a lot more dialogue about it. Um, but as I was growing up, my mother had a lot of mental health issues. Um, my family uh, in general had a lot of mental health issues. And so, and it was just, it was undiagnosed. We didn't even know that that was the issue. As I got older um, and the stressors of life as one has happened to them goes on, um, I became very, very overwhelmed, um, burnt out. Uh, Turns out I was actually living with undiagnosed ADHD as well. Um, So executive dysfunction and not really knowing like, what do I do? What, (laughs) why is it I cannot function in today's society? And then I had, I ended up having two beautiful children kind of back to back. They're 15 months apart. I was the stay at home mom. So I was at home all day with the kids. Um, My husband at the time was working a minimum wage job and we were barely getting by. But we didn't really have a lot of money for me to go out and explore other hobbies or other activities. Um, I was also trying to get a direct sales business launched. Um, So it was myself and the kids and this direct sales business. And then on top of that, the lowest point, I will say, was actually before my daughter was born. She's the youngest of the two. 
Um, and I was dealing with chronic pain issues because I also suffer from migraines and fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. And so there was this point in time where I was on the couch struggling with pain to the point where my son, who was transitioning from bottle to solid foods, which if there are any parents listening, they know what that transition is like, where the bottles just don't suffice anymore. They're like, I'm hungry. And you're like, yeah, I know. Here's a bottle. And they're like, uh, no. And they throw it, right? They throw it across the room. When you're a chronic migraine sufferer uh, and you are dealing with migraines day in and day out, and my, your migraines are so bad that you can't get off the couch. You can't feed your child. Um, and so I was dealing with emotions like worthlessness and, um, you know, the, the, the saying that continued to play in my mind was they would be better off without me. And so I was in a state of deep depression, um, and had, had obviously suicidal thoughts and I had a plan. Um, and I started going through that plan and, and I knew what I was going to do and when I was going to do it. And obviously, I was going to wait until my daughter was born and established enough within the world that she didn't need to be attached to me at that point. Um, but then I started checking through the list of people that I wanted to take care of my kids. And that's when logic set in. And I went through the entire list, got down to the bottom of the list. And I went, I don't want any of these people taking care of my kids. <laughs> and I said, there's got to be something like not clicking because if emotionally I feel like I'm a miserable parent, that I'm not a good mom, but logically I know that none of these people are going to be a better parent than I am. Then something isn't right. Something I need help. I need to get through this because, because I'm the only person who can take care of my kids the way that, that I need to. I've proven that to myself. Um, so how do how do I need to go about this? So I called I called my PCP, got the nurse on the phone, and I started therapy within a few months. Um, and around the same time, I stepped into leadership. So after my daughter was born, I went back to work, uh, stepped into leadership at a corporation, and alongside years of therapy and stepping into leadership, I realized that there's a big miss in corporate organizations of mental health training alongside leadership development, which is where I stepped into where my current role went and where my business went and basically the whole story of my life um, because I wanted to make a difference. There was, there's a need. I refer to depression as the black hole because what it does is it consumes everything. It's like this one little thing and then it just encompasses everything else around it. When the depression set in and I wanted, and I knew I wanted to get out, it feels impossible. And when you live your life, unknowing that you're in that depressive state, you don't even know how to get out. And it's, there's a comfort level too. So you're in the depressive states and you're like, oh, I know I want to get out. I, I know what they're telling me to do, but that's not comfortable. And so you kind of have to set anchors, which is where the mantras come in, the mantras or these little nuggets, lessons of information that, that you set to pull yourself out. And so, um, I took those and I wrote those down. I memorized them. I use those 
throughout my coachings with my team and my corporate organization. I use those um, throughout my lessons with my kids, with my spouse, with my friends. Um, and I really started to pull myself out of that black hole. And when I got to a point where I was like, oh, I think I understand this on a level that I feel like I can translate it for people who don't understand it, whether they're going through it or whether they're from an outside perspective and haven't ever gone through it. That's when I decided to write the book, but I, I wasn't sure how to do it, where to go with it, anything along those lines. And I, and I really wasn't sure where it was needed. I, I wasn't sure what the direction was. And then at my corporate organization, I started getting pulled into disciplinary meetings because every corporation has policies. And when you have depression and anxiety and ADHD, it's really hard to fit into the boxes of a corporate policy, such as you need to be to work on time every single day. (laughs) And it sounds silly, but those types of policies can lead to struggles for people who have depression, ADHD, when you're struggling just to get out of bed in the morning, just to show up for yourself, much less for a company showing up to an organization can lead to missed days at work. It can lead to tardies. It can lead to those types of things. So I was getting pulled into disciplinary meetings where managers cared enough about their people, knew about the mental health conditions that those people were going through and didn't want to trigger them with a disciplinary meeting. And so they would pull me in to say, I need to have a conversation, but I don't know how to do this in a way that makes them know that I'm not mad at them I'm not upset with them. I have to have this meeting because of policy. I want them to succeed and I want them to do well, but I'm not mad at them. And I don't want to give them a reason to go home and hurt themselves. Right. And so that gave me the direction that I needed for my book. It gave me the direction that I needed for my coaching, for my speaking engagements. It gave me kind of the direction that I needed for a lot of the different things that I was doing with my life or that I am doing with my life now, because those types of conversations, I knew that especially frontline managers, they're in it, they know their teams, they care so much, but there's these policies that don't work for everybody. And they still have to treat people equally, right? Even if that doesn't mean equitably. As they treat everyone equally, that means they have to do things that they may not feel like are appropriate for that person. They may not feel like are uh, good for that person, but they have to do so in a way that makes makes that person feel like they're invested in their success. Right. And so finding the right words, finding the right mantras to give that person, to pull that person out of that black hole was the key to what I found to bridge the gap really. And this is what it comes down to but with caring about your employees as individuals, as people, and knowing that whatever they're going through in their lives, there is something that they can get through, right? Like they, there's always something, some, and I don't want to say this in this idea of saying, oh, there's always a brighter side because it sounds like that what we're talking about now in the the mental health space is that toxic positivity without addressing what's what's not going well. We can't just say, oh, everything's going to be okay. But 
when you can address what's not going well and acknowledge it and then move forward and say, oh, here's the way out. Here's where we can stand. Here's how we make it better. Here's how we turn it into lemonade, right? Yeah. If you if you can't address the lemons, you can't make it into lemonade, yeah, right? That makes so much sense. It would be just like as if somebody brought you these lemons, you're like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And it's exactly. like, well, oh, okay, that's great, you know, but instead you're saying it's going to be okay, but this is how it's going to be okay. We're going to take this, we're going to cut it open, you know, we're going to use it, we're going to, yeah. so you would, you would take people kind of give them that hope, it sounds like. Yeah. I love the, actually, as I'm kind of processing it in my brain, I love the lemonade analogy because we can pour sugar on lemons, but it doesn't make lemonade. You have right. to cut the lemon open, right? You have to squeeze the lemon. You have to do the processing work. And I'm not done with that. I've been going through this. My, Like I said at the beginning, my kids are almost teenagers. Well, actually, my son is a teenager. So for 13 years, I've been going through this deep processing work. And I'm not through it. I am still going through it. As of today and yesterday, I've been going through this deep processing work of uncovering things that I didn't realize were traumas from when I was little. I didn't realize how these perceptions, and that's one of the reasons that my business is called Perspective Shifting, because it really is about understanding that trauma isn't always about how you how you react to something because it is this particular type of event. It's also about how it's perceived by your brain. And everyone perceive things, perceives things differently. And that happens over the course of time. Our brains work in a way, and this is also where as I went through this process of healing and, and dissecting and understanding I, I developed this deep love for psychology and understanding how our brains work and our brains are wired to hyper adjust to things just to keep us safe. Like we're really programmed to stay alive. That's all we're programmed to do. Even the perceived anger, even when our parents aren't ang angry, the perceived anger, the perceived disapprovals from parents and teachers and siblings and kids on the playground, those can come off as danger to our system and to our brain and to our body. And we don't understand that. And it takes that cutting of the lemon open and squeezing of the lemons to make the juice. And it's not until you get the juice and then pour the sugar on it and mix it with a little bit of water that you can create the lemonade that you can then serve to other people. I love how you're saying that the perceived, I like that because I think it, we do that even with other people's problems, don't we? We look at somebody else's problems. You're like, that's not that big of a deal. Why are they freaking out about that? You know, but to that person, they're freaking out. It's really hard. And so we need to look at our own things like that too, but our stuff is really hard. You know, somebody else's stuff is easy, but ours is really hard. It's or really funny. Reverse too, where sometimes yeah. we normalize our own feelings and emotions because, oh, well, we don't have it that hard. There's a coping mechanism within that, right? Where there's a, a gratitude perspective within, within that aspect. Um, my aunt, who is a licensed therapist, I, I love her to death. She does so much good work. 
Um, but she actually has run a homeless shelter for many years. And one of the first things she'll tell you about what she hears from people who are homeless is, is that the number one thing they'll tell you they're grateful for is toilet paper. And that puts a lot of stuff into perspective for us, right? Like we're worried about mortgage payments and phone phone payments and, you know, what our 401ks are doing. And they're like, I have, I have toilet paper this week, you know? And so when we think about those types of things, it puts our own stuff into perspective. But a lot of times we can also minimalize the emotions that come along with that. And when we minimalize those emotions, we don't process them. We just make them smaller and compartmentalize them. And so I think that's the work that everyone around the world, no matter whether you are homeless or whether you're in positions of power, everyone needs to be doing this work right now. And I think that's the problem that we have within our society, whether no matter where you are in the world, we're not doing that work as individuals. I think as a society as a whole, we're shifting that perspective we're, we're, we're really trying hard to make it something that we can talk about openly and, and be more aware of. But I think as individuals, we shy away from that work because one, it's hard. It's hard work. It takes a lot of energy. It's not easy. You have to put the time aside. You have to put the effort into it. But what comes out of that is a clarity and a focus and a purpose that is unmatched by anything else that you'll find. So what does the work look like? I hear about toxic positivity and, you know, don't, and, and to think positive and to be grateful and don't compartmentalize, but like, what does the work actually look like then? It seems simpler than I think that it is. One, it looks like awareness. So when you start to feel something, they, they, they call emotions feelings at the basic level, because that's what they are. They're feelings. They are actually a physical response within your body to something externally. Right. So your brain creates emotions to make you aware of something. So when we're, when we have an email pop up from our boss that says, Hey, do you have a minute to talk? And we get the fear and the anxiety or some of the listeners might be going, oh, I don't get fear and anxiety. I get excitement. I love my boss. They're great, right? Wh whatever reaction that you have, there's still a physical sensation that comes in. Maybe the fear and the anxiety comes in in the chest and the excitement comes in in the stomach. Whatever it is, many of us have lost sight of that brain-to-body connection. So we don't even know what feelings actually feel like. We're putting labels to them. Because in grade school, we're taught happy, sad, angry. But scientists can tell you that there are millions of different types of emotions, ranging in kind of numbness to very active, from positive to very negative. There are physical feelings that reside within our bodies. So that's the first thing is you have to sit with your emotions and check in with your body long enough to actually go, oh, that's a feeling. The second thing is you have to take a step back and go, where have I felt this before? Mm. Which I encourage you to pause for a second, because if you are not working with a licensed therapist or someone who has done this work with other people, I encourage your listeners to do this because there have been times where people go, where have I felt this before? And there are memory blocks because it was a traumatic event. 
There have been things that have been drudged up by this work, but this is why it's called work because it's a traumatic event that we have to process that our brains will shut down because our fast paced world does not allow for processing of things like that. Um, I'll give you a case in point. A couple of months ago, at the beginning of summer, um, I was in the backyard with my with my boyfriend and he was cutting grass and I was digging in our flower bed. He finished cutting grass and he came over and he stood behind me. He was kind of just standing there and looking at me, just watching me. And he did this for a couple minutes. And I noticed that I was starting to feel anger rise. And I was like, he's just sitting there. I'm down here on my hands and knees working in my flower bed and he's just sitting there and I, and I could feel the feel the anger rising and my thoughts started going and I started going why do I feel so and he was just cutting the grass why do I feel so angry right now and I paused I actually stopped put myself back on my heels took a deep breath and went when do have I felt this before and I realized that the anger was actually not anger it felt like anger but it was actually anxiety because when I was a kid, if you were caught when other people were working and you weren't working, someone was yelling at you. I was afraid he was going to get yelled at by my parents who were not even there. Wow. Right? So you have to do the work to sit with the emotions, feel them in your body, and then figure out where are they coming from? Why do you feel that way? Where are they coming from? Where have you felt that way before? And then once you've done that work, then you have to sit with the emotions that are then drudged up from that. Because there are times when you sit with something and you go, oh, and then it's not as easy as going, oh, yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because mom and dad aren't here. And sometimes it's more traumatic than that. Sometimes it's more impactful. It's more hurtful. Sometimes it feels harder than that. And it drudges up anger and pain and sadness and frustration. Sometimes you need to take a day if you can and feel into that. And you have to actually allow yourself the breathing room to feel those emotions so you can fully process them. But if you sit with the emotions and the feelings that come up in your body, the thoughts don't come in. You're able to feel them and release them right away. So that's where the work comes in. And again, I've been at this for 13 years and it's not as easy as it sounds, it sounds easy to sit with an emotion. It's like, oh, I can do that, but it's not comfortable. And our bodies aren't wired for that anymore. It's too fast pace of our, our world is too fast pace for us to sit with our emotions. It's get back to work. You've got another call to take. You've got another email to send. You have a project deadline to get to you. You, your, your team needs you. So if you can carve out the space and the time for you to deconstruct to cut the lemons open and squeeze the juice out then you can get back to to preparing the lemonade for everybody else well that is that is amazing that is amazing that you've learned this and that you have this way to present it because this is stuff that we all need to know about and i'm just so grateful that you are teaching this and so is this what your book is about you mentioned your book earlier is this the type of thing this work yeah, it's not as elegant. <laughs> and it's really, I wrote this book in 2000, um, at the end of 2019. And then I wrapped it up in the, at the end of 2020. Obviously, we were all going through a lot there. Um, but that was really about the thick of it. So the mantras that I used, and it's really the basics 
And I say that because if you've never done this work, if you don't understand, if you feel, if you think about your emotions, as we were talking about earlier, that kind of flip side around, oh, I shouldn't feel this way. Or um, why do I feel this way? This other person would never feel this way. Those are the types of things that we deconstruct in the book. Uh, we we talk about depression as, as that black hole about what that feels like and how it affects you. Uh, we talk about how emotions aren't right or wrong and how they just are. Um, it, it doesn't matter if you're angry or sad, if you're frustrated, if you uh, feel numb. Uh, a lot of people think that depression is an overwhelming sadness, and sometimes it can be. What, but what I've found personally, and through a lot of the people that I've counseled, is is that depression is actually intense emotional reaction that we've been conditioned to shut down to the point of numbness. Mm. And so we talk about that. We talk about some of the ways in which I've interacted with with my own story um, to come across these lessons. So. It's a, there will be more to come, but if you're in the thick of it and you feel like I'm struggling to get off the couch, I'm struggling to get up in the morning, I'm close to wanting to take my own life. This is a really good book because it'll help you to pull yourself out. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for talking to me and teaching me. I've learned something new today. And I think this is great timing just this time of year you know we're kind of around a lot of big holidays that could be really you know you use the word triggering for people but this is is a hard time of year for people the end of the year with the big holidays and it just brings up a lot of memories a lot of feelings a lot of emotions and i just think this is a really good timing to kind of check yourself and i love the idea of just pausing and, and like where have i felt this before and you like you said that's a deep dive and you've got to be careful but it's a really good way to get clear yeah, absolutely. And I really do encourage anybody. And I know right now there is a shortage of people who can help with this, but whether it is, um, you know, a licensed psychologist or a licensed therapist, I really do encourage people to work with someone on a lot of this because especially, you know, the rates of depression in 2021 were one in four people were experiencing symptoms of depression before COVID. It was one in five would experience symptoms of major depression at some point in their lives. And so to go from one in five would maybe at some point in their lives to one in four were was a huge shift. And so we're, we're experiencing obviously slow wait times to get in to see people. So take that preemptive action now and try to get in to see someone, you know, if, if nothing else, reach out to a coach or someone who can help you to explore that in a safe environment that can help you feel loved because you are loved. You're not alone in any of this. Perfectly said. Thank you. Nobody's alone. There, There is someone out there that can relate to you, help you, support you, love you. Please reach out. Very important. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're still here? Well, then enjoy this little outtake from that interview. I really did learn a lot. I'm just like, oh my gosh, why am I so triggered with stuff? And so when you were talking about your boyfriend coming up behind you and why is this? I was just like, this is so powerful. Like to just check yourself and be like, let's, let's, when have I felt this before? I love that instead. Why, why, why? It's when have I felt this before? Yeah. So, very powerful. Why? I actually was, it's so funny that you said that because 
I had a migraine this morning and I am working with a neurologist right now. And I, I, like I said, I've had migraines for years and years, 20 years now. I woke up this morning and I took my meds and I went back to bed. And as I was falling back asleep, I vividly remember myself going, why, what did I do? What did I do? And I immediately corrected my thinking, which is part of that perspective shifting. And I was like, you didn't do anything. Yes, there's a why, but you don't need to know it. You're doing everything you need to do to get through this right now. It's okay. Wow. It is not about the why right now. It's okay for you to release the why. And I was like, yes, yes. Okay. I just love the idea of not saying why to everything, you know, I'm just like, where have I felt this before? And just dissect it. I just think that's really powerful because I think I could just spiral into why all day long, you know, and just, why is this happening? Why did I do? What did I do to deserve this? Why? No, why does not help us at all. Yeah. It's a physical response. And we don't, when we think why we're in our head, right? When we think, when have I felt this? before yeah. now we're in our feelings our actual physical response and we can go okay oh i felt this here oh Wonderful. i've learned so much i'm just so excited so <laughs> thank you thank you thank you i needed this today so hopefully it'll help other people too but it helped me <laughs> good okay. I have enjoyed spending this time with you. You might have a friend struggling with the same thing that we talked about in this episode that might enjoy listening to this too. So please share this episode because no one is alone at the lemonade stand. <laughs>